I want to talk about the great gift exchange. You know what a gift exchange is? Are you guys here? Are you guys like all gifted out already? We haven't even got to Christmas and they're like gifts. I don't like that word. Like people went into shock like you're in a department store or something. And, uh, you know, over the years I've been involved in some gift exchanges and maybe you have too. And, uh, you know, some families do that. So if you've got a big family, you know, they just draw names and you exchange gifts, you know. And I remember one time when I was working in California, our company had a, um, a gift exchange. And they said, this is the amount of money you're supposed to spend on this gift. So I'm thinking everybody who's there is going to get a gift that's like this, and this will be good. You know, yet nobody's ever gotten in a gift exchange and thought, okay, at least I'll get something good. No, nobody. And so I, this is just me, I thought, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend above what they said because I want to really do something good for somebody, you know, and I'll jump it up a chunk of money. So whoever gets my gift is totally going to like this gift, you know. And so in this gift exchange, uh, we exchanged gifts, but what they did was certain people didn't bring gifts on purpose, like, you know, I was management, but they didn't even tell me this. They, they put gag gifts in there. And so here I'm thinking, I've probably given the best gift. I better not get a gag gift. Well, I wasn't exactly thinking that. I was thinking, I don't exactly, I didn't know they were there. So we go in the circle and we're opening up these gifts and we open, you know, somebody opens mine. They're like, that one's awesome. I'm like, I got that. I didn't say it. I just <laughs> was more humble than that. But I did think that was the one I got right there over there. The, you know, I've sown. Now I'm going to reap something good. And I open mine and I'm like, oh, serious. I just got this. And um, I'm like, I gave an awesome gift. I'm like, I'm switching. No, I didn't say that. I had to be dignified. Everybody knew I was a Christian. But I'm like, man, I just got nose hair trimmer. What is this? Now, some people are like, that sounds like a really good gift. When I was younger, it didn't sound that, you know, a few years back, it didn't sound. Maybe it's better as you get older, but I was thinking, this is a horrible gift. I hope the batteries are included, at least, or something like that, and Everybody's laughing at me. But a gift exchange, you know, the gift that's given is not always equal to the gift that you receive. Isn't that true? And so we, we celebrate the birth of Christ at this time, and, and the gift that's given is a lot bigger than the life that's given to God to get that gift when you exchange. And uh, I want to read a verse of Scripture. This is going to be real different. Psalm 35, but I think we should turn there, even though we're going to look in Luke in a minute about the story of the birth of Christ, I think this is really important because, you know, a lot of people have the wrong mentality about God. They do. They really have a wrong mentality about God. And I'm not talking just people who don't know the Lord. I'm talking people who are in the church who, are, who know the Lord. But Psalm 35 says this, and you're going to say, well, what's this got to do with Christmas? Everything. Notice this. 
Psalm 35, 27. It says, let them shout for joy. So that means you're allowed to lift your voice. I mean, not right now, of course, but, you know, sometime. Let them shout for joy and be sad. No, be glad who favor my righteous cause. In other words, those are who are for the thing of God and the things of God, you should shout, you should have joy, you should be glad. Let them do that, who favor God's righteous cause. But notice this, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. God has pleasure. You ever wanted to please God? You ever want God to be pleased? The Bible said without faith it's impossible to please God. Well, this is something that pleases Him when people get ahead, when people prosper. I mean, you think, of, think about your mentality. We think God's good, right? Okay, we should think God is good. Let's say it like that. So we think about heaven, what do we think? Awesome, party, right? We think about hell, party, no. We, it's, the Bible calls it the lake of fire. But we think about heaven, we think streets of gold, poverty, right? We think of a horrible time, depression, tears. No, we don't think anything like that when we think about heaven. And that's God's design, and God did something to get men to go there. That, that pleases him for people to go to heaven, meaning not this second, but at some point. He wants you to go there. He has pleasure in that, but his pleasure is just not in that. It's for people who favor his righteous cause and then people who prosper. He has pleasure in people who prosper. And, you know, there are some people who get mad. Well, how come they drive that car? How come they live in that house? They got a big house. What's up with this big house? Well, you know, the Bible did say, in my father's house are many condos. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare an apartment for you. Or a duplex. No, everybody gets a mansion there everybody. And it's not like God's like, oh, I'm upset. I prepared them a mansion. I should have just got them a tent and an outhouse. (laughs) No, he has pleasure in the prosperity of the saints. So heaven is set up with full-out prosperity, not just material prosperity, but emotional, all kinds of prosperity beyond money. In other words, there's going to be no more tears, no more sorrow. But God has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants here. Go read the Old Testament, and you can't get away from people who walked in his covenant or even into the New Testament. Jesus said, if you'd seek me first, all these things would be added unto you. And it's amazing to me how people get upset about other people who get ahead in life. That is not God's attitude. 
when a Christian starts getting ahead and starts getting moving up and, and somebody gets upset, well, what, how come they're, you know, they're a Christian? Yeah, God's excited about that. Oh, he is? He wants that. He's for us in that. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm misinterpreting this because, you know, I've had people say stuff like this, like where it says, uh, it says, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants? Who has pros- pleasure? Who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants? I've had people, like I read that, right? I've had people say, well, that's just how you're interpreting that. Okay, let's not interpret it. Let's just read it. Who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants? Did I interpret that? I just read that. So, so what is the channel by which he has pleasure or he gets prosperity so he can, he can be pleased with this happening in your life? Well, we know this. The time of year we celebrate, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So this is the time we celebrate the giving of his son. That's the channel for his prosperity. God gave his son. God loved the world. Pleased in their prosperity. But he loved us and he gave his son. And think of this. Everybody before his son came was in a condition of spiritual death. They were lost. No way to heaven without Jesus. So he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but get everlasting life. God worked to make this come to pass. He's pleased when people are saved. He's pleased when his kids get ahead in life. He's not pleased in stinginess because obviously he is the most unstingy person. You know what I mean by that. He's God. But he's the most unstingy. Well, we do know that giving promotes prosperity. He gave and it was for our benefit. So with those thoughts in mind that God was for us, let's look at this in Luke, the second chapter, about this big exchange, this gift, this Jesus gift, what he gave or gave up in order for us to get. And so Luke, the second chapter, we're going to read here a number of verses, and um, This is what we would call the Christmas story or the birth of Christ. And uh, we'll start in verse 1. Now remember, this is God doing something for humanity. This is God attempting to get his son on the earth because of the condition of mankind. It says this. In other words, it really, it's God coming in the flesh. Verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from uh, Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. 
Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the lineage of David. In other words, depending on the tribe that you were from, uh, you had to go back to where your family sort of lineage was because there were 12 tribes. They would go back to those areas, and here they're going back to this area. And we know the story of Bethlehem, right? If you've ever been to the mall, at least, right? Or watched Christmas stuff on TV. No, also you find it actually came from the Bible. And there's a real city there, too. But anyway, it says Joseph went to his place because he was of the lineage of David, or we know him as King David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. In other words, she's now come full term with this child. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. You know, you know what swaddling clothes are? Rags. Just wrapped him in rags. And it said laid him in a manger or literally a feed trough because there was no room for them in the inn. So they had to go to this stable, uh, maybe like we would call a barn today, a place where horses and animals are kept. Verse 8, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Not just a select few. This good news that I'm, we're about to tell you about is going to be for everybody. It's for everybody. Verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is called Christ the Lord, the Anointed One. Verse 12, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Thank God that God didn't lose track of Jesus when he didn't end up in the inn in this nice place. They knew exactly where he was. And these angels said, you'll find him right there, and this is going to be a sign to you. You'll recognize him because there aren't a lot of people being born in stables nowadays. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, in other words, a bunch of angels, praising God, they, they praise God. We should praise God. It's a good thing to praise God. And they were saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Notice this phrase, and good will toward men. God delights in the prosperity of his people. Man was in a bad state. And here they are saying, goodwill is coming toward men, toward men and for men. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven 
So I don't know if they just disappeared or they just watched them go up. But it says, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. I mean, they went quick. I would too, wouldn't you? And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. So now they're spreading the message. What message are they really spreading? wasn't their own message. Our message is not our own message. This message was not their own. What kind of message was this they were giving? Actually, they were giving the message of angels. Right? Isn't that where they got the message? They got it from angels. They went and saw... Then they turn around and start giving this message of angels to men. And verse 18 said, or verse 17, Now when they had seen him, and they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning the child, and all those who heard it marveled and those, at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But really, they're conveying heaven's message. Really? That's all we're doing today, too. Verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. In other words, she heard it. She didn't really proclaim it, but she's hearing some wild stuff. She's already been told by an angel, you're going to conceive a child. Now she's hearing from some shepherds they also have seen. I mean, this has got to be a huge thing. And it goes on to say in verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. In other words, she thought on them. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. That's the Christmas story in a nutshell. Now, if you read Matthew and some of the other accounts, you'll hear a little bit different things that were explained. But I want to look at some of this this really, this gift that was given to us and what really happened and, and talking about a gift exchange, this is one we should celebrate because really it's so that you can prosper in life. It's so that you and other people out there can prosper. One thing we notice here, he was born in a, in a manger which we would call a feeding trough. I don't know if it looked like the one that you would see, you know, on a nativity set or one you'd see in a Western movie just made out of wood and, you know, whatever is thrown in there. I don't know if it, you know, we, we glamorize it and we make it full of straw. But, you know, you ever heard of a pig trough? Notice the word trough, pig. You know, they always put like T-bone steaks in there and cooked vegetables and no, it's about full of a bunch of junk. And what's it for? To feed animals. And uh, he's born and they put him in there. Now, I would assume maybe they did put straw in there or put something in there. But I mean, you think about it, they wrapped him in rags and put him in there. And he was put in this place to feed animals, animals. But what's interesting is later on in his ministry, 
Jesus proclaimed this about himself. He said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. If any man would eat of me or partake or receive me, they would never thirst again. First, he's put into a place where animals eat. But then later on, he proclaims, listen, I'm the answer to the hunger of every man's heart. That's a pretty good exchange. He, he left heaven to feed the eternal hunger that could never be quenched in mankind. And you can read about that in John 6.33, where he said this to the people. He said, if you'll eat, you'll never thirst again. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. Also, he came into the world that was full of darkness. I think this is important because we recognize that darkness is not 6.15 at night, you know, or, or 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock during the summer, and then it gets light again. He came into a dark world. This world that he came into was under a foreign rule. A government was ruling. But here we live in a world now that is under a foreign rule too, so to speak. There are enemy forces. We wonder why bad stuff happens. Well, it's a spiritually dark world. And he came into this world. You know, some people think, well, why didn't he just, if he's God, why didn't he just fix it all? Because if he did that, you wouldn't have a choice in the matter. He'd be forcing you against your will. One thing that God has always done is set things in order and set things a certain way so you have a choice with what you do with your life. All through your life, you'll have choices. The biggest choice is this, is will a man stay or a person stay in spiritual darkness? And when you're in this world, you live in it, or will you come over into the kingdom of light? He came into this world, into a dark world, a world that was in need of a Savior. They couldn't ransom themselves, and he died and made this price, took this price, and whoever receives him, the Bible said, comes out of the kingdom of darkness, and we end up in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of his son. Colossians tells us that. That's a huge exchange. He came into this world of darkness so that we could come into spiritual light. In other words, you still live in this world, but you're not in darkness. Peter said it this way, one of the people that walked with Jesus, you know, who wrote a couple of books in the New Testament said he's called us out of darkness. That's not physical darkness. It's spiritual oppression, spiritual separation from God into his marvelous light. That's not talking about the light of this room. They could go out, and if you've received Christ, you're in the light. Not physical, spiritual. And it's real. The Bible said in God there is no darkness at all. When you receive the Lord, that light comes into you. And so also we see that, but we see also that Jesus gave up his home in heaven. What an exchange. He gave up a home in heaven to end up, or his mom tried and dad, you know, natural birth parents, so to speak, tried to get him into an inn. There's no room he ends up in a barn or a manger in what, what the Bible calls a stable in order for the ultimate exchange that we might have heaven as our home if we would have received that gift. So everybody who has received him, we know this. We, we mentioned it earlier, but John 14, 
2 and 3, he talked about in the first verse, don't let your hearts be troubled. In other words, if you live in this earth, don't allow your heart to get troubled. Notice it didn't say, I'll make it so your heart doesn't get troubled. He said, don't you let your heart get troubled. And then he said this, and because they were bothered that he was going to go away, but he talked about how he was going to leave and he would come back, but while he was gone, he was going to prepare a place for everyone who would receive him. And then he said this, he said, if it was not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place where you said, in my father's house are many mansions. So here he leaves this place in order so we could go to that place so that we could each have our own mansion. I think it's interesting that he gave up all that so we could have that eternal one. He's not opposed to our prosperity here nor there, but he gave it up. And what we need to understand is if we want that, we have to give up our own life for him. God's for this. You understand that? In other words, when a person surrenders their life, here's what we need to understand. If we have this hope, we can keep our hearts from getting troubled. Just got to remember, this isn't everything right here that you're going through every day, 24 hours a day. This is only a small part of the big picture. It's big right now to us because, hey, we've got time here. But when you're talking about eternity, he tells us, don't let your heart be troubled. Think about it. Such a small time here, he tells you, don't let your heart be troubled. Well, somebody says, well, how in the world do you keep your heart from getting troubled? Well, come back in three weeks, and I'm going to talk about that. No, it, it, it actually, there are scriptures that tell us how people get a troubled heart. It really goes by what they ponder in life. See, they're thinking, he's going to disappear. He's going to be gone. We're going to be left alone, and they start getting a troubled heart. We're going to be all alone. He said, don't get troubled. He said, I'm coming back, and I'm not disappearing. I'm actually going to be gone, but I'm going to be doing some work. And so he told them, don't think like this. Think like this, and it'll keep your heart from being troubled. You need to recognize there is something beyond here. And uh, if you think like that, your heart will get settled. But there are other ways to keep your heart settled too, not pondering problems. Or you will get a troubled heart. You'll get full of fear. You'll think, oh no. Then things that should not come out of your mouth will come out of your mouth. And you'll start a cycle of something that's just not good. So just watch it. Make sure you don't allow your heart to be troubled. I mean, you know, there are people who get troubled because they've got to go to their relatives tomorrow. Seri no, serious, they do. I mean, it is funny, but it's not. But people do. They get troubled. But you, you want to know how they get troubled? They do exactly the opposite of what Jesus said. They start thinking about the battle, the fight, the person, the people, how the person acts. The person hasn't even acted that way yet. 
not in this terms. It ha- that day hadn't even come. They haven't even left. And they're just thinking, I've got to go be with them. Great. They're this way. They're that way. They're getting all worked up on the inside. Their heart is getting troubled. They haven't even got there yet. They didn't even know if it's going to be that way yet. Maybe you don't think like that. Maybe pray and take authority over that and start praying about it. Maybe they'll act nice. Okay, nobody wants to do that. Just go ahead and think about the problems you're going to have and just head on. And uh, no, don't do that. But you think about it. And how many people get all worked up? They haven't even been there. And then Uncle Larry never even shows up. But they're all in turmoil. They got turned up on the inside because they pondered the wrong thing. Here's another thing that he gave up. He gave up his home so we might eventually have a mansion. Notice this, but it is true that he did say, pray that his will would come to pass on the earth like it's coming to pass in heaven. Here's another thing that's interesting. He gave up the riches that he possessed in heaven. He lived in a place where there's just, we know the new Jerusalem has streets of gold, gates of pearl, foundation is full of precious stones, you know, all different kinds of levels of stone, because <clears throat> people talk about the dirt, you know, being gold. No, not true. The streets are gold. It's fascinating. You could div- dig up there, and you'd get through rubies, and then you'd get to sapphires, and you'd dig down to diamonds. And here, you know, you ever, I know back on the East Coast, they have places like you can go for vacation or on a weekend and go to an old mine and you pay a certain amount of money, you can dig. And every now and then you hear about somebody who finds like a multi-million dollar diamond. You ever heard of those places, you know, because they're old diamond mines and stuff like that. And you can go there. I'm sure the majority of people find dirt. Otherwise, they ain't letting those people pay to get in there and make millions of dollars. They're going to do it themselves. More people don't make than do, and more people don't get than do get. But if you dig in your backyard when you're in heaven, there ain't no dirt. You just go right down to precious stone after precious stone. But he gave up all this for you to be prosperous. In other words, have a full supply. But if you refuse it and go, no, 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 I'm just going to be poor and proud, that's a bad combination. Pride is what Satan had, and God has pleasure in you getting ahead in life. You need to think like that, because sometimes people just think, well, you know, I, I, I don't know if I should get ahead in life, and they do. I, I've heard people. They don't realize God actually has pleasure when they get ahead. You know, there are people, when they get something good in life, they feel bad about it. They do. They, and then they're afraid you know, to tell people because they got something nice. And they're like, oh, you know, I got this nice thing, you know. And they're like, they don't want to tell people. And then they're afraid what other people think. And God's up there going, woo, yes. Oh, that, that's pleasing. You with me? I mean, did I read that verse? I didn't, I didn't translate it wrong, did I, when I read, he has pleasure in your prosperity. That's why he gave Jesus. Anyway, we know this, he became poor that you might be rich or have a full supply in life. As you serve God and trust God and move along, your supply will increase. I believe that. Because 2 Corinthians 8 9 said, 
how he became poor that you through his poverty might be made rich. The whole chapter and the beginning of the ninth chapter is talking about God giving his son and then financial provision coming into your life. You put God first and he'll be able to get things working in your life. And that is just a fact. We know that. Jesus taught it. And it's okay. One thing God does not like is covetousness and stinginess. But he'll bless you. Well, nobody should say amen at that. Because that, you know, somebody might think I'm being all proud about this for myself. No, God's okay with you having stuff. And don't be bothered with people. You know, God's not going to get, when you get to heaven, he's not going to go, I can't believe you had that. You had your own plane? Come on. You had your own boat? Two? Oh. What else did you have? He's not going to be like that. What we're going to find out is he provided. He put the silver and gold here, not for the world, but for his people. He created the earth. He put all the stuff here. Did he do it for them or for his people? That's a good question. Because, you know, God delights in the prosperity of them, not us. So when he gets to heaven, he's going to go, oh, I was real upset with you. I was watching you, and you started getting ahead in life, and I was up there tapping my foot going, what are they doing? You know, one church, when they were praying to God, they said, Lord, we just, we love our minister but we'll tell you what, you keep them poor and we'll keep, or you keep them humble and we'll keep them poor. No, God wants everybody to have a full supply and move ahead in life. And he's okay with that. He died and he became poor that you might have a full supply. Philippians, the second chapter, says this that he emptied himself of his eternal weight and his glory. What for? so that you could be filled with his life. Here's the last thing I want to look at, is his birth on the earth was a miracle. This is a huge exchange. It was a miracle birth. I mean, a virgin conceived. That's, that really happened. The Holy Spirit, she received the word of God, and the Bible said she conceived in her spirit or inside the word of God and she conceived in the son. The Bible said the word became flesh and he was, the word was clothed upon. She received God's word to her and a child came, a seed into her and developed. It was a miracle birth. I mean, she didn't know a man, the Bible said. And she has a child. He gave up his natural or his heavenly existence to have a spiritual birth. But ultimately so that every human after could also have a supernatural spiritual birth. Jesus said this in his earthly ministry in John 3 verse 3 but also 4 and 5. He said you must be born again. He said if you want to go to heaven you must be born again. They said, the guy he was talking to said, how can you be born again when you're old? Do you enter back into your mother's womb? 
And he said, no. He basically explained, you need a spiritual rebirth. Peter said it just like this. And it's interesting. How did Mary conceive God in her womb? She received the word that came to her from the angel. How do you get new life and get born again? The Bible said being born again of incorruptible seed of the word of God that lives and abides forever. No wonder we're supposed to go tell people about Jesus. No wonder this dark world doesn't want you to tell people about Jesus. Because if you tell people about Jesus, they can accept that word in their heart, believe, and have a spiritual rebirth too. No wonder the enemy hates us. He hates the message. He hates God because he has got nothing of God in him. He rebelled and left, and so he opposes that message. What's interesting is we can have a spiritual birth too. Those who have received Christ have a spiritual rebirth. And what's interesting about this gift or this rebirth is this fact. It's the gift that gives on and on and on and on and on and on and on forever after you receive it. Always. Always. Inexhaustible. Paul, Paul said this about this gift of eternal life. He said, I search after to lay hold on that which has laid hold of me. He, he spent his whole life telling people and preaching, but his own personal life, he said, I'm just laying hold of this that has laid hold of me. It's the gift that keeps giving to the person who receives it. We, we keep learning and walking and should be walking in more and more as we go along. And here's the thing. It's not the gift that ends here. It gives us an eternity with him. But the key to getting this gift is the giving of yourself. The nose hair clipper. The inferior gift to the better gift. And really, that's not even a good comparison. Somebody said, well, I've been called a booger before. Well, no matter how bad you are or how bad you were, there's no comparison to what you get for what he gave. And so if somebody would just step out in faith and call on the name of the Lord, the Bible said they would be saved. Here's the thing. Once we've received this, it is supposed to keep giving to us. We just need to know it. That's why we're to pursue God and look into his word. Because salvation is not just about me going to heaven when I die. It's about this whole life. What he gave in exchange for you to have here, not just there. And if we don't think right about it, we may forfeit it or not attempt to even walk in it. I'm talking about people who have received. But for the person who receives, it's the simplest thing to enter through that door. Whosoever would call on his name would be saved. How do you know to call? You hear the message. Then just like Mary conceived, just like others in this room have, you get new life. She had new life. She had God in her. We get new life. We get his life in us. It's the huge exchange. And then I will say this for the rest of us. Remember to be committed to that new life too because there is a lot there for you to be experiencing here before there. God doesn't want you to go there till you experience what you need to here. 
So in other words, if something wants to cut things short, that's not him. That's not him. Start thinking like, I have all this stuff. I just need to see it. And start thinking like it. Amen. Don't have to struggle. Don't have to beg. He said it's a fact. 